0: amazing to me that Nehemiah is just an ordinary man. He's not uh, a priest. He's not uh, a uh, one of the leaders of uh, the nation of Israel or Judah. Uh, and uh, so he certainly is uh, just a common ordinary man that was willing to be used of the Lord. And can I tell you this, that God can take the most ordinary and weak and frail among us and do something mighty through us if we are just letting. And if we'll be obedient to him and be willing, and that's the way uh, Nehemiah was. So we get to verse number fifteen. The Bible says, "So the wall was finished in twenty uh, in the twenty and fifth day, uh, twenty and fifth day of the month of Elu uh, in the fifty and two days." So this is a pretty amazing feat. They repaired the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken and burned with fire. Uh, they repaired them in 20, uh, in fifty two days which is an amazing feat. You can't hardly get a, a, a modern-day construction company to do that. Uh, and here these folks did it with great opposition, with a trial in one hand and a, and a weapon in the other. Uh, they're able to accomplish. And we would look at that and say, boy, these people did a great thing. But can I tell you this? One of the things that we need to realize, and we spoke a little bit on this Wednesday, and one of the things we need to realize is that these things happen not because of the greatness of the people or the labor but because of the greatness of their God that prospered their work. And uh, we oftentimes, uh, we were talking Wednesday night about uh, making Christ preeminent. And I I think that there ought to be a great zeal and excitement among God's people to make Christ uh, preeminent, to lift Him up. And uh, the Bible says that Jesus, John speaking about Jesus said, He must increase, but I must decrease. And the idea of lifting Christ up and... Uh, us humbling ourselves, I think is a critical, critical thing. But one of the things we have to guard against is, and it's one of the great battles of our life, is in exalting Him and making Him preeminent that we don't make ourselves preeminent in the process. And by that I simply mean this, that we can get so good at it or we can become so dedicated to it that we pride ourselves and we want people to see how well we're making Him preeminent. And when we ask people to look at us and how well we're making him preeminent, then really we're making ourselves the center of the focus, aren't we? We're, we're becoming preeminent in and of ourselves. And so I believe that there, there's a necessity to be on guard for these things. For the people not to get proud here. And uh, I've said it so often before uh, about the time you start getting humility, you start getting proud of your humility. <laughs> and uh, you lose it all over again. It's one of the great battles. And uh, one of the greatest definitions of humility I heard, I shared Wednesday night with you, I heard a preacher say it. He said, it's not thinking less of yourself than you ought, neither is it thinking more of yourself than you ought. He said, it's simply just not thinking of yourself. And I thought, boy, what a great definition for humility. If people leave this church and say, boy, that was, uh, Brother Greg had a great message, then I failed. If, if people look at your life and say, boy, there's a great Christian, then you failed. We need people to look at those things and say, boy, what a great God they have. Uh, the Bible says this. Jesus, when He was doing the Sermon on the Mount and He got to the area um, of uh, the similitudes, and He was talking about being salt and light, and He said, you're a city that is set on a hill uh, which cannot be hid. And in that message, He made the statement uh, along the lines of the fact that um, you and I are to allow men to see our good works, but glorify our Father. And when we do the things that we do, and we serve the Lord, and we um, uh, lift Him up and make Him preeminent for the purpose of people saying, boy, what a great Christian that is, then we're failing in it. And so these people have a great sense of humility. They've done this in 52 days, not because they were great, but because their God was great. And Nehemiah goes out of his way to overly express this throughout his his writing, the the writing of this book. Uh, The idea being, according to the good hand of my God upon me, is the way he always phrases it. So we find that in 52 days they've built this wall, and it came to pass, the Bible says, when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things... They were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of the people. Uh, it was wrought of Nehemiah. Is that what your Bible says? No, not if you got a King James Bible. What does it say? Wrought of their God. Isn't this amazing? That not only did the people recognize that it was the great hand of their God upon them, but their enemies recognized that it was the great hand of their God upon them. Our country, our world is starving for, the, for some Christians that will have this kind of a spirit that people will look at them and say, what a great God they have. Uh, our, our country looks down on God and the things of God, I think in a large part, because we've given them reason to. We as God's people have given them the ammunition to shoot us with, so to speak. Uh, we, we've given them cause by lifting ourselves up. And not pointing them to the Lord. I mean, we, these churches that get out here and they... Uh, I, and trust me, I, I'd love to see a lot of people reach for the, the gospel. And, uh, but I'm going to tell you this. I'd far rather have five people that will grow and love the Lord and give their heart to the Lord than 5,000 that we do to just create a scene and make people think that we've got a great church or a great work or a great ministry here. Why? Because it makes a big difference the way the world perceives us. We've got to be so careful of these things. It's interesting to me that these folks labored and served and were successful in the work God gave them to do in such a way and with such a spirit that even their enemies had to look at it and say, their God prospered them. Verse number 17, it says, Moreover, in those days, nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah. And the letters of Tobiah came unto them, for there were many in Judah sworn unto him, because he was of the son, uh, was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of a- Arah, and his son Johanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berachiah. Uh, also they reported his good deeds before me and uttered my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. And so again, even after the wall, Tobiah is creating a stir. He has, a group of people that are coming to Nehemiah and telling him all of the good things about Tobiah. And then he's going and they're going back and telling Tobiah all the bad things about Nehemiah. And by the way, any time that we live the way we ought to live, there's going to be that kind of opposition. It will always happen. The Bible, Jesus spoke to His disciples and He made this statement. He said, Yea, and some that live godly in Christ Jesus. Is that what He said? What did He say? Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus might what does it say? Shall suffer persecution. You can mark it down. If you do God's work, God's way, you have a spirit that is willing to be used of the Lord, and you serve with the right motive and a heart of love, you can mark it down. Your motives will always be questioned, your methods will always be questioned, and you're going to have persecution and opposition. It's just going to happen. It's part of the par for the course. Brother Garcia, getting ready to go to Honduras. Brother, be ready. It's going to happen. It's going to come. The battles will be there. And you've got to be careful of those things. And whether he's going to Honduras or whether you're a member sitting here in the pews at Keith the Highest Baptist Church, you can mark it down if you're doing God's work, God's way, and have a heart for the Lord. There's going to come some opposition. There's going to come some people that do not like it. And what are we going to do? And the question throughout this book that we've asked so many times is what is it going to take to make us quit? Some people, it takes very little. Are we going to be true? Are we going to be steadfast? Are we going to be unmovable? Are we going to be always abounding in the work of the Lord? These are things that I believe that we as God's people need to come to a place where we determine and purpose in our heart. Not emotionally, not based on the circumstances, but we need to determine in our hearts. I'm going to love God with all my heart, and I'm going to do it no matter what the cost. I'm going to serve God. With all my heart. And I'm going to do it regardless of the cost. And can I tell you this? It sounds good from the pulpit. And it's easy to agree, agree with that until it comes. The persecution begins to come. Can I tell you this? We need a purpose in our hearts. We need to, we need to grit the teeth. Years ago, they called it having grit in your crawl. Having, having that sense to bear down and push through the trial having a little bit of manliness, having a little bit of backbone to be able to endure. Paul told the folks, after he told them to put on the whole armor of God, he says, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. So once you've done everything, you've made all the preparations to be able to stand, he said, then stand. I think sometimes in the day we live, we've got a lot of people in a lot of churches that are, that, are, that are really sincere and they're preaching, well, we need to do this to be, to be careful, and we need to do this to be right, and we need to do this to be right. And we begin to put up uh, standards and walls and principles, and then we don't make the effort to stand. We need to stand, therefore. We need to dig our feet in the ground and say, I'm not going to be moved. I'm going to sink these roots deep into God's Word And I'm not going to be moved. These folks have been hounded. They've been threatened. They've been criticized. They've been ridiculed. They've been falsely accused. And yet they persist in doing the work that God has given them to do. They're always abounding in it. And because of that, God does a work that even the enemies say. Wow, what a great God they must have. We don't like it. But we have to admit, their God did a wonderful thing here. We get to chapter number 7. We're not going to spend a ton of time in here, uh, just because it's a lot of um, a record of things that people did and and the things that they gave. But it says in verse number 1, Now it came to pass, when the wall was built, and I had set up the doors, and the porters and the singers and the Levites were appointed, that I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem, notice this, for he was a what? Faithful man and what? Feared God above many. Can I tell you this? When we put people in positions to be influential, there are considerations other than their popularity. There are considerations other than their personality or their looks. I've long said, and I've had long discussions with pastors, when a church calls a new pastor, it's amazing to me how they'll bring a man in for a weekend, have him preach, meet his family, have a, a few hours at a meal with him, and ask him some questions, and then vote on him as the pastor for their church. There is no research, it doesn't seem, no, no finding whether or not this man is a faithful man. No, no uh, spending the time to dig into the life and see if he's one that fears God above many. And can I tell you this, when it comes to finding a pastor, if God ever calls me away or some reason that this church needs to call a pastor, can I urge you that you need to find the, the things about the man that are going to matter don't just say, boy, he's, a, he's a, a, got a lot of charisma and he's exciting to listen to and he's easy on the ears. Those things do not matter. Does he stand on the Word of God? Is he fearing God? Is he a faithful man? Does he have the character? These are things that need to be found and uh, voted on and looked at. And again, uh, uh, Nehemiah getting ready to set up these rulers over Jerusalem doesn't look for the most popular. He doesn't look for the nicest looking. He looks for the one that's faithful. He looks for the one that fears God. Why? Because it was being led by people who didn't fear God that got him into this mess to begin with. And I said unto them, verse number three, let not the gates of Jerusalem be open unto the sun, until the sun be hot while they stand. By them, let them shut the doors and bar them and appoint watches of inhabitants of Jerusalem. Everyone in his watch, everyone to be over against his house. Now the city was large and great, but the people were few therein, and the houses were not built. And he said, listen, there are some enemies out there that are out here trying to destroy what God has done. You ever been there? You ever look at your life and say, well, there's people that are attacking things that God has done in my life? What did did Nehemiah do? Notice this, he says in verse number 3, "...let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun be hot, and while they stand by, let them shut the doors and bar them." Can I tell you this? Nehemiah built the wall, he put the right ruler in place, and then he put some guards in place so that it wouldn't go back to the way that it was. There are a lot of times I've seen people that have made a decision for the Lord, I'm going to turn over a new leaf, Pastor, I've done it in my life. I've watched over the years as I've come to an altar and I've made a decision for the Lord. And I'm telling you, I was sincere when I did it. God had moved my heart when I made the decision. And I left and did the best effort I could do to live that way and failed very shortly thereafter. Why? Because I never put things into place in my life that would protect that decision. And when we make a commitment to God, then we need to come to a place where we say, I'm going to make some changes that will protect that commitment I've made to the Lord. Somebody said this, that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing the same way and expecting a different result. Clarence Sexton, I believe it was, said one time, in order to change the future, you have to disturb the present. Something's got to change. We make a commitment for the Lord. We see something that God's dealing with in our life that we need to do, we need to change, we need to make a difference in The first step is making the decision. The second step is we gotta make some actions to that decision. We gotta bar the gates. We gotta put some reinforcements in place. I've used this years ago. I've used this illustration before that there are standards sometimes that we have in our lives that God has given to us individually sometimes even that may go beyond the biblical standard. And the reason we do that is to set a fence far enough back from the edge of the cliff that if we go over it in a moment of weakness, we still haven't gone over the edge of the cliff. And so sometimes we put standards in place that maybe even are beyond Scripture. Now, I don't think it's right for us to enforce those on other people, but if God has put that on your heart, then you better do it. These aren't necessarily biblical standards so much as they are protective standards, and there's a principle of Scripture that teaches that this is a wise thing. I'm not to demand it of you, but if I know I've got a weakness in some area, then I'm going to put some things in my in 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 my way to make sure that I don't do it. Years ago, uh, I loved basketball growing up. It was my it was my sport. You can tell by my my physical physique here that I am very athletic, and (laughs) not so much anymore. But when I was younger, I was. Well, I played basketball, made the all star team from eighth grade on. And did, the older I get, the better I was. You know, in your mind, you always think of those things much better. And I love basketball. I really did. And uh, when I came out of college, I came back to work at the church that I had grown up in and that I went to the Christian school in. And they asked me to be a coach. And let me tell you something. I was a Bobby Knight coach. If you know what I'm talking about, some of you know who Bobby Knight was. He was a coach of Indiana. And Bobby Knight was known for the temper tantrums he would throw. And I mean, literally, he'd go storming out on the court in the middle of the game and throw chairs out on the court. He'd be so mad. And I was that kind of a coach. I mean, I'd be red in the face and veins popping out. and I mean, I was just spitting and spewing and everywhere I was. I was and I did that for about a year. And after one game, I had a dear deacon in our church say, Brother Greg, can I see you for a minute in your office? And we went back in the office. He said, I've been praying about this for a long time. But He said, I want to share something with you. He said, I don't think that the testimony you're displaying on the court is a good testimony for the cause of Christ. I thank God for brothers and sisters in Christ that love you enough to in the right spirit help you with those things, aren't you? And by the way, if somebody ever does come to you in that way, with a spirit of humility, trying to help you, thank them for it. Hug their necks for it. They're there to be a help to you. They're not trying to ridicule you. They're not trying to tear you apart. They're not talking about you to somebody else. They're trying to help a brother that's overtaken in a fault. This dear brother came. He sat me down. He said, I think that this is a poor testimony. I had two games left in the season. and I said, you're right, I need to fix that. We prayed together. The next two games, I did my best. (laughs) I did. I did my best not to be that way. But I couldn't do it. And as much as it pained me, I resigned from coaching anymore. I told them the next year they asked me to coach. I said, "I, I can't. They said, why? They said, because I can't control myself. He said, Brother Greg, that was your weakness. Yes, it was. That's why I put a standard in place so that I wouldn't be tempted in that weakness. Did I think that no guy should should coach? No, I I didn't put that standard on other people. But I put it on me because that was my weakness. There are things that you know about in your life that is your weakness. God's shown them to you. The Word of God has shown them to you. And there are times that you need to put a standard in your life that is more than what the Bible says to help protect you. Nehemiah just got done rebuilding the walls. He put the right leadership in place and he said, boy, we don't want to be back in this place again. I'll tell you what let's do. Don't even open the gates till the sun's up. And make sure that you bar those gates Make sure that we don't have these enemies creeping in again. You say, Brother Greg, that's oversimplifying some things. I think a great principle is shown here. That we need to be careful of the things that we allow in our lives. Our forms of entertainment, your weakness. Our things that you look at, your weakness. Are the people and the things that you talk about your weakness? What is it that's your weakness? It's not something I need to know. It's just something you need to know. And then say, I'm going to put some guards in place. I'm going to put some hedges around me. I'm going to build up some walls. I'm going to bar the gates. Because I know this is an area I'm struggling in and I'm not going to be found doing things that will cause me to do that. I hope that will encourage you in some things. I'll tell you, it will help you through some battles. I've heard times, and I've had times in my life, and I've heard others that have said, boy, I just struggle getting victory in this area. Then put some things in place that will keep you far from it. Don't even come close to it. Don't get near the edge. Stay plenty far away from it. Alright, we'll pick up there next week. And let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. Lord, how it teaches, how it guides, how it directs. Lord, we're so grateful for the wisdom that You give us. The truth of the matter is, that's not our nature. These things go against our human nature. If we were to rely on the things that we think and the things that we have, the wisdom that we have, then Lord, we would we would be terrible folks. We'd We'd live in such a way that certainly we would bring a reproach to You. And so, Father, I pray that You'd help us as we learn some things through Scripture, these principles, that You will help us to not just hear them, but put them into practice. May we apply them and, Lord, become more of what we ought to be for You. I I would pray that when we get to heaven one day, that we will not have to hang our heads looking at the times that we brought reproach to Your name. But that we could look back and say, there were things that I did and steps I took, things I put into place that kept me from these moments of weakness. And then, Lord, I pray that You would strengthen us through all of it. Give us strength of character and purpose of mind to be able to make these commitments and to stand by them. We pray that You'll dismiss us with Your blessings, and Lord, bless the service to follow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.